0: Today's episode highlights include career development opportunities through the Robert Bosch Fellowship, insights into the DAD Bonn Headquarter, higher education internationalization in Germany, German office culture quirks, and this week's travel suggestions include the Zeche Zollverein in Essen, the Bauhaus Museum in Dessau, and several other cities in the former East. My name is Hanni Geist, welcome to Coffee Connections. Today's Coffee Connection is Anthony Yuan alumnus of the Robert Bosch Fellowship with work assignments at the D.A.D. Bonn Headquarter and the Free University Berlin. Have a listen.
1: My name is Anthony Yuen, and I work as a Project Policy Analyst at UC Berkeley for our Vice Chancellor for Undergraduate Education. My Germany connection, it's both personal and professional My mother is actually a German national. She comes from the Franconia region in northern Bavaria, and she immigrated to the U.S. in 1965. She had met my father, who was in the U.S. Army in Bamberg. She came over here, and they got married and had three kids, including myself. So, you know, I've been to Germany several times, you know, to visit family. My first visit was when I was six years old, and I think that made a really strong impression on me but unfortunately, she was kind of of that generation where folks thought that it was most important to learn English and to really, you know, be raised as American. So we I mean, unfortunately, my brother, my sister, and I, neither of us really had a strong German language upbringing. You know, she spoke to us in English. So we always joked that we had the misfortune of learning English from a non-native English speaker, German speaking. So I think all of us All three of us went to some speech classes in elementary school because we had trouble pronouncing certain sounds. But, you know, it was that personal connection that really kind of drew me to the Robert Bosch Fellowship Program. In my career, prior to my current position at UC Berkeley in undergraduate education, I had worked in your field uh, as well, in international education and in student exchange and study abroad. And one of the first jobs after finishing my master's program in education at UCLA, was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Wisconsin, I think compared to a lot of other states in the U.S., still has a pretty large number of high school students and students who study German and go on exchanges to Germany. So I was really excited to, to go there. And at the university, I was advising on the Madison study abroad program to the University of Bonn. And it was there that I started working with my counterpart there, Katerina Schmidt, who I think is now working at the university in Dresden. She was one of the representatives there, and I worked with her and several other colleagues. It's
2: a small world. It's It's a
1: small small world. world. Everyone knows each other. (laughs) And so we had a really great working relationship. We kept in touch. And after I moved on from Madison, I was working at UC Berkeley and study abroad. And I was thinking after a couple of years what I wanted to do next. And, you know, I never really had the opportunity to study abroad or spend a significant time in Germany. You know, I was only there just for a few short visits. And my German, you know, was still not that great. And I was really interested in in some kind of international experience myself. The kind of funny thing about working in international ed is that Many of us, even you know, as professionals, we don't actually get opportunities as professionals to spend much time abroad other than maybe for a few days for a site visit or meeting with partners. So she said, oh, there's actually this program through the Bosch Foundation that you should look into. It fit everything that I was interested in. And most of all, it was a fully funded program that would support participants. And what it is, it's a transatlantic fellowship program that had been operating for more than 30 years. It brings about 15 Americans to Germany each year for professional development, language learning. And part of that program is based around the participants spending time at what they call stages or work placements. So a lot of Folks on the program come from international relations backgrounds, or they're working in climate, government policy. There's a few folks like myself who have education backgrounds, but it's a little bit more, I would say, kind of East Coast heavy and a lot of folks who are working already kind of in that field. And so um, I was part of that group of 15 who were selected and spent a year in Germany through the Bosch Fellowship, which was just fantastic. We started off in Berlin in the summer, in a very hot summer in Berlin, studying at a language school. And so I picked up from where I left off with some of my German language after that. I started my first stage working at the German Academic Exchange Service, or the DAD. And so I actually had made arrangements beforehand working with my colleague, Leslie Harlson, who, as you know, was your predecessor. She put me in touch with a lot of folks in the main office of the DAD. This was my intention, actually, because I wanted to go and learn about Germany's approach to student mobility and international exchange. That was the theme of my fellowship experience I wanted to know how was Germany internationalizing its institutions of higher education and do some comparison with what was happening in the United States. At the time, there was this Generation Study Abroad initiative, which I think 2020, which is now the year we're in, was the target year. All this was happening. And I wanted to see, you know, how was Germany internationalizing? You know, what kind of role did institutions like the DAD have? Because even though we have organizations like the IIE, Institute for International Education in the U.S., the DAD is really kind of a different kind of organization. And I think it's been described as like the largest scholarship organization in the world. So I wanted to learn more about how that operated. And so I was invited to do a short stay in Bonn with the DAD. And I spent my time in team K24, which was actually in their communications and marketing group. I worked with a wonderful Troya supervisor, Alexander Haridi and his team. It was interesting because they were working on a campaign at the time for German students to promote more German students to go abroad. You know, my time at the DAD was really more spent around kind of absorbing and synthesizing information. I spent a lot of time doing informational interviews all across the organization from the different programs and different sections and learning how the organization operated. It was really a treat to see all the different activities that were happening. I got to attend a meeting of all the different sort of international office directors who were invited to the DAD and hear from them what the issues are. I also got to learn more about how the DAD was marketing study abroad and exchange to German students to get them to go. So, you know, I got to visit several of these large fairs, the the messes, you know, I got to see a little bit of that and understand um, more about the DAD. You know, I was really struck by the history and kind of the scope and breadth of, of the work. So it was really a wonderful time. And also, the team that I worked with were really wonderful. They were very hospitable, made me feel really welcome, and it was just a wonderful experience. And I got to, to learn all these little kind of quirks and nuances about the DAD and the <laughs> the area where it's in and and Bon. You know, it's you know Bon is the former capital of West Germany and so seeing the the elements of history there and kind of you know how people think about Bonn what do they call it the Bundesdorf right
2: (laughs) Uh, I actually never heard that before
1: (laughs) the village the village uh capital Mm -hmm. it was a really interesting time and I got to also explore other parts of North Rhine westphalen which I'd been to Bonn once years ago, but, you know, it was a really neat place to to live and to work. I got to explore a bit around the region. It was a really fantastic fellowship year. Not everyone knew what a, a fellow was. Some people thought we were interns
2: <laughs> occasionally. What does that actually mean?
1: Yeah, so I think the concept of a fellow or a fellowship is a little bit more well-known in the U.S. than it is in Germany. You know, here... A fellow like a Brookings fellow or someone else who has that attached to their name is basically kind of a, a person in residence who brings some expertise and is spending their time there to contribute to that organization. You know, it's kind of like the concept of a, a postdoctoral fellow, but more in a professional capacity. And so, you know, I saw my time there as being someone who was there for professional development, but also to contribute where I could to my host organization.
2: What was the, you said you learned a lot and you observed a lot. And I know it's hard to synthesize everything in just a few sentences, but is there something tangible that you learned? Like what was the learning experience for you? What was it that you took away from that fellowship
1: I think, in terms of what I took away from my fellowship, I would probably split it into two areas. one was the personal and one is the professional That's kind of a very German way of doing it right There's a professional side and a personal side that you know in germany they're they're very distinct a lot of the time. professionally, I think for me, being in a German work environment was really enlightening, especially around international ed
2: Can you give an example and um...
1: I'll start with one of the the more interesting quirks that maybe most Americans don't know about. So apparently a tradition when you start a new job in Germany is that you would bring a cake to <laughs> your colleagues, the Einstein, right? And you're kind of celebrating your, your first day. And so I didn't really understand that when I first started. So I'd had no cake <laughs> at the DAD. <laughs> but when I left, I did bring cake, which is the Aufstand. Is that right?
2: You know, actually, I've never had a full-time job in Germany, so I, okay. don't, even, I, don't, so I don't even know.
1: <laughs> so that was my, my understanding. So I think I did it right the the time I was leaving. I brought some cakes. And I was very proud because I I, you know, I went down to the bakery and ordered them all myself in German and everything. What happened. cake did you end up getting? Erdbeeren torte. I think it was raspberry, maybe strawberry, kind of the... Strawberry fruit over the the cake and the glaze. And then uh, I forget the second one, but they they were all well-received.
2: Since we're talking about coffee and and cake, if we had this conversation, ideally in a German cafe, what would you order?
1: I think, you know, I always love the Schwarzwald Kirchtorte. Mm -hmm. So the Black Forest cake. My mom always liked that cake, and so we always had it. we would order it. So in San Francisco where we grew up, there used to be a lot more German bakeries there. Not so much anymore, but one did open up recently called Hado. The woman who owns it has a really interesting story. So I think she is originally from Vietnam, but was raised in Germany and then immigrated to the U.S. and has been uh, baking now for a number of years and selling her baked goods at farmer's markets, but now has a a proper conditorei in San Francisco. So yeah, that is actually part of a very strong piece of German culture, the Caffeine Kuchen, right? So you have your, your coffee. And actually, that's part of, I think, the German work culture as well, is that, you know, I would go into my betroyer's office and he would always offer me, you know, some hot water, tea, coffee. People were very well stocked. I always enjoyed that the DRD had a little room in the building where a woman. She would prepare small sandwiches or snacks, and she would sell it out of this place. And so you can always go there and grab a snack. You know, food is definitely a big part of German culture, especially oh, work yes. culture mm. as well. So one thing that I really enjoyed and I kind of miss here was the whole cantina culture. All your colleagues, you'd all go together to the cafeteria and have lunch together. Not so much in like in the US where everyone just sort of does lunch individually or sometimes people eat at their desk, but everyone made an effort just to all up and leave at the same time. It's always like twelve thirty for some reason each day.
2: Well, you and, have to it's gotta be precise and right? structured. So,
1: you know, we would be working and then uh, someone would go around and just kind of check who was going to come, you know, for lunch that day and then we'd all go down and then we'd always talk about, oh, okay, what's on the menu today and everyone would make comments you know, <laughs> whether it was good or bad and DAD has a very big nice canteen that I think is shared by a couple of, of other sort of education research German organizations. German Research
2: Foundations, for example. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah so um, you see all kinds of people there and there's always like visitors and delegations and Then after lunch, we would go into the little cafe next to the canteen and people would get their cappuccino or espresso. And that was actually another difference that I saw too. You know, here coffee shops are sort of places where people work and sort of hang out in for hours on end. And I admit I I do that occasionally. But there it was really just you had your drink or your snack, then you kind of go back to work or you go do, you know, something else. So that was one thing that I discovered here in, in Germany was... Just really the role of food. You know, Germans really appreciate food, good food, very seasonal.
2: What is your favorite?
1: Oh, gosh, that is really hard to say. Or like the
2: top three.
1: Gosh, I ate so much. I think top anything was anything my family made that I visited. They were all just excellent cooks and made really great food. But I love sort of the traditional hearty German meal from the South. You know, your Schweinebraten or sauerbraten or Wurst. Living in Bonn and and near Cologne, you know, that was also a very different kind of culinary environment. I didn't really get into the traditional Cologne food, but I really appreciated the Kolsch beer. That's like one of my favorite beers now, just like really clean, really crisp.
2: You mentioned that you went to Berlin. So how did that come about during your Bosch Fellowship year?
1: So I went to Berlin and I did my second stage at Freie Universität Berlin, or Free University Berlin, which is a public university. I chose to complement my time at the DAD with the University of Berlin because I wanted to have the experience of being in an actually German university along with the experience of being in a larger government sponsored organization that was also working in international education and I was really attracted to free university because they had been one of the recipients of the German Excellence Initiative funding and so they were using that funding to support their uh, different information offices throughout the world. And so that was part of their international strategy. And I was really wanting to learn more about how that particular university was internationalizing. And so I actually did my stage in their international strategy office, which at the time was separate from their kind of international office, which dealt more with student mobility and exchange. I was working with uh, the staff there who actually had met through contacts through Katarina and others. That was also a really wonderful experience. I got to learn a bit more about how their office approached things. In that role, I was invited to a meeting with the University of California, strangely enough, and actually got to meet Janet Napolitano <laughs> there. So it took, it took me going all the way to Germany before I could meet someone, the president of UC. Um, they were doing a lot of really interesting work there. And there were a lot of similarities with my other institutions. You know, I'd worked at UC Berkeley before my current position and Free University. Berlin and Berkeley have a kind of a long history of student expression and freedom of speech. For me, it was, again, a real learning experience. You know, I, I commuted every day to Free Universities that was really again kind of a, a neat experience for me to work not just in the german university but also just have that experience of kind of commuting and having a professional life in germany and so you know my experience i think was was quite unique and all the other 14 bosch fellows you know also had their own experiences whether it was at the alsparges amt or working for climate organizations and so you know as a group i learned a lot from them as well and get a greater appreciation of all the different elements of the transatlantic relationship.
2: Is there actually a component also when you're back? Because a lot of the things that you said is exchange and learning from one another, but also contributing. Is there some sort of project or some publication maybe, or or some other way to make it visible based on what you learned in Germany and where you contributed?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I, I admitted that earlier was the Bosch Fellows. When we finish our program, we submit a transatlantic mm. project and report. We do a report about our Stash experiences, and then we also prepare a project that we present to our fellowship group and advisors and other people affiliated with the program. And so my project was a paper that I wrote looking at the internationalization of German higher education with some comparison to the U.S.
2: Is that accessible online?
1: It is. It is posted on the Robert Bosch Foundation Alumni Association website, RBF aa.org, I believe. There's a section where transatlantic papers are posted. You can read that if you're interested in international higher ed. It's probably a bit outdated now. It was written in 2015 and 16. So I think some of the numbers have changed, but it will give you a bit better sense of my motivation, why I was in Germany and there on Bosch and what I learned. And, you know, there are some interesting, I think, insights about how Germany approaches internationalization of higher ed versus the U.S. and maybe some trends that we might see. So if you're so inclined, you go ahead and check that out.
2: You did have a full-time job at UC Berkeley for a number of years, and I do understand that maybe someone wants to do something differently, but it takes a kind of leap of faith to just say, well, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do this program for a year and then be confident that something else comes up after that, but it it does take a leap of faith and I guess if you're with the prestigious fellowship, then I assume they're also through that things come up. but how was that for you
1: yeah i mean it's it's not the easiest thing to do to kind of uproot yourself and move to a new country. you know at the time I was with my partner who's now my wife, you know we had been together for several years. And so I probably would not have done the fellowship if it wasn't for the right factors all coming into play at the same time. So one of those factors was just the fellowship itself, that it was a fully funded position. We received um, support for housing and living expenses and we had a stipend. So it was one of the rare international programs that truly supported you when you were there. Could I have done something similar independently and on my own? Maybe, you know, I had made some really good contacts and connections, but it would have been financially a lot more difficult. And I think being attached to the Robert Bosch Foundation also gave me a certain degree of acknowledgement and people recognizing, you Bosch. The Bosch program made it a lot more feasible to go and do this experience. And, you know, it was really kind of an investment too, in, in my view. But, you know, if it wasn't for that support, I don't know if I would have done something like that. And, you know, fortunately at Berkeley and UC, staff don't have an option to do a leave of absence. You know, faculty will have opportunities to do a sabbatical, but I basically had to separate from my position and leave. And so I wasn't employed, but, you know, we had health insurance through Bosch and all that other kind of coverage. So that was a lot easier. When I came back and completed my fellowship, then I was looking for work. I was exploring a lot of different options, some of which were German-related and others were higher ed-related, but it was really kind of a, a random circumstance that my colleague Leslie, who was working at Berkeley in this position, was herself going on leave to have her first baby, and she thought I would be a really good fit for this interim position with the Office of Undergraduate Education and the Vice Chancellor, and so she recommended that I apply. I applied because this office I was familiar with, it Was actually the parent office over my previous position. And I knew a lot of the staff already, but I hadn't worked in that capacity before. So I applied and was offered the job. And I took that initially as kind of a contract position, but it was made permanent later. And then now I've been working there for about three years. You know, it's not the international higher ed focus that I had before, but it's looking at at a lot more broader undergraduate education strategy and programs and initiatives. In this position now, I better understand the university more than I ever did because um, being in meetings with vice chancellors and deans and faculty and other staff, I've really come to learn like, how the university works and get more of an insider perspective of Berkeley that way. I think it would be wonderful to, again, connect back with the transatlantic side of my background and some of the international higher ed. And I think as far as places to be, Germany is still one of the best, I think, countries you could be in as far as international exchange and higher ed. There's, I think, a genuine commitment and support for student mobility in Germany that is not based only on financial motives or on balancing a budget or anything like that. One thing I noticed when I was... Living in Germany for my Bosch year was how regional Germany actually is. Mm -hmm. And it comes down to one is that, you know, certain food and drink only exist in particular regions. So for example, in the city of Bamberg, where my mother lived, there's a particular type of beer called Rauchbier or smoked beer, made by many different breweries, but the famous one there is the Schlunkerloch. And so it's like impossible to find this beer elsewhere in Germany. It's just made in this one little region, and a lot of Germans don't actually know about it. You can probably more likely find it here in the U.S. than in like <laughs> Berlin. But I enjoyed that regional element to Germany. It meant that when you did visit places in and, and had something regional. It made it very special. I was really struck by just how unique that was that a lot of Germans actually had not visited some of the places I had been to, you know, as a as a visitor.
2: And I'm glad that you that. mentioned that because a lot of times, of course, here in the United States, a lot of times Germany equals Bavaria. A lot of times you have, I remember I was in Disneyland or Disney World, the one in Florida. Um and yeah, and Epcot word it was basically Bavaria. And they even had not the German flight, but the Bavarian one. And whenever I go to some German restaurants here, a lot of it is just Bavaria and then the Bavarian music. And so it almost seems like Oktoberfest. And that's just not coming from Berlin, that's not my culture. I don't identify that. So I'm glad that you mentioned the diversity in terms of culture and food and just the regional flavors.
1: Right. And and folks, you know, point to the fact that Germany as a state or a nation is fairly young, that it really was consolidated, you know, relatively recently, not just the, the reunification, but, you know, all the different Buddhist and the federal lands, like all these come from these sort of older historical regions and kingdoms and such. But it also means that I think Germans also have a sense of humor about other parts of Germany as well. I remember some of my colleagues in Bonn would joke about, you know, the Prussian element of Berlin and Eastern Germany.
2: You mentioned a few places in Germany that you visited. What are a few you- cities that are lesser known that you recommend people visit when they go to germany
1: oh yeah i could probably talk at length for for travel suggestions but some of the really neat places that i visited um, besides the you know the big cities of berlin and hamburg nordrhein westfalen you know if you can visit the Ruhrgebiet, i think it's a really lesser known place i mean most people probably recognize the city of Dortmund from the football team. But when I was there, I visited Essen and I visited this UNESCO World Heritage Site, the Seke Zulfurrein. It's a former coal mine that is now this heritage site from UNESCO. And they've turned it into this whole kind of museum. And it's really fascinating. You, you take this escalator up and then you can walk around through like the former mine floor and they have a whole exhibit on the region. There's a design museum inside there in the winter time they turn part of it into an ice rink so I think people can go skating <laughs> on this in this you know coal mining facility but it's like this like really random but really fascinating place that I found if you are traveling through Bavaria I would Definitely suggest going to the Franconia region, so cities like Würzburg, which has wonderful wine and beautiful sceneries that's right on the Main River. A really neat thing to do is there's like one or two little wine shops on this, the Alte Brücke, the old bridge. You can go and get a glass of wine and just go outside and have some wine overlooking the river. That's a really neat thing to do. And while you're in that region, definitely go visit Bamberg as well, which I think has some of the highest number of breweries per capita.
2: Oh, is that right? World,
1: yeah. There's like a hundred plus breweries like in this around the city, and there. It
2: was a different beer than what people may think of German beer. With the Reinheitsgebot, you mentioned the Rauchbier.
1: Yeah, yeah, das Rauchbier. That's kind of an acquired taste. You know, it's like drinking kind of smoked meat to some people, but it's actually fine once you start drinking it.
2: Well, it's probably one of those beers that you. Or anything that you can just have a little bit of, yeah. At a time,
1: yeah. You know, I got to visit Greifswald up in the northeast, and I went there during I think it was like the tail end of the summer, and oh, that was very beautiful. nice. Yeah, like that's also a region that I think you know most tourists probably don't make it to. But if you can visit, there's beautiful beaches and just neat little coastside towns and really pleasant. I also had the pleasure of visiting Dessau and the Bauhaus Museum and the the school there, which was really, really neat. I'd always wanted to visit there. I had been to the Bauhaus Archive in Berlin and then but I hadn't been to Dessau yet. So that was a really neat treat to to see firsthand the, the building and the houses that had been built for some of the Bauhaus faculty. If you can visit the east, I think that's also a really neat region to go to. Dresden is, is of course, really beautiful. Also, Leipzig is a really, really neat city. That's I think the it's new big,
2: Berlin from what big. I hear. It's it's very hip and people now go to Leipzig because it's just too, too much in Berlin and everyone wants to go to Berlin. So that's the new Berlin I've heard.
1: Yeah, I've heard the same thing as well, kind of a, a new place for artists that's more affordable. But beautiful city, really fascinating history, especially during the, the DDR and, you know, has a really pleasant city center that you can kind of explore. And if you're um, a music enthusiast or if you just like caffeine kuchen, it's also a wonderful place to go.
2: I'm glad you mentioned that because for a lot of Americans, I don't think they have a lot of the cities in the former east on their radar and they usually don't visit but i do think that a lot of them i mean Dresden with the opera and with just the old buildings and the, the church i think that's a really great place to visit for a variety of reasons if someone wanted to get in touch with you how would they get in touch with you best
1: yeah, anyone who wants to get in touch with me about the Robert Bosch Fellowship or anything else related to Germany or Berkeley or higher ed, uh, you can visit my profile on LinkedIn. Look for Anthony Yuen. The last name is spelled Y-U-E-N.
0: This was my Coffee Connection with Anthony Yuen. All content is created and edited by me, Honey Geist. If you would like to get in touch, send an email to podcast at dad.org. Stay safe healthy and well. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next Coffee Break.